You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Land and Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. We're coming to you right here on Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. We have a very exciting Woo! podcast for you this week because we are rolling full steam ahead. Now, some guys down south have already kicked it off, but I know it's a hot topic this time of year across the deer hunters and land managers and all sorts of land enthusiasts is food plots. It's and, April 18th or 17th. And we are in a very late spring this year for us it's very i mean i I was talking to equipment operator today and he was like uh, basically i told him i said if you were to take pictures of the landscape right now and then have pictures from march over the last five years you would say oh those pictures it just fits right in it looks like march here Mm -hmm. Um, dogwoods haven't even thought about popping yet or just barely poking red buds are trying barely poking through and it's just there's like no leaves on the trees, hardly at all, um, other than the Bradford pears. And uh, it's just, it looks like March. But it is, what'd you say, April 18th. April and so 18th. we are gearing up and trying to figure out what we're planting and where we're planting. and Get that strategy developed, because it's happening really, really soon. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think uh, this is just an exciting time. You're chasing turkeys. You're trying to get the food food plots planted or at least get them prepped i know several guys that have been out um getting ready for that and i'm still sitting here going just not quite there yet no not not quite there and but some people are some people are are getting seed in the ground really finalizing their plan or they're hoping winter leaves them so they can do start that process so it's a great time to talk about food plots and food plots successes failures everything that that revolves around them yeah and i think i mean this is the third week in a row that we've had snow, like this past week, yes. we had snow for the third three, week in a three row. Three Sundays in a row, we had snow of some degree. And it was like, man, it is April. Get out of here, Winter. There was a Leave. little bit of snow the night we were at turkey camp. Well, it spit snow a little bit opening day. Like yeah. morning, they're very, very few flakes, but it was at least cold enough. Certainly cold enough, um, but just we had the opportunity to see it. It wasn't a welcome sight, but no. it happened. Nope, I do not enjoy it. And I froze. Oh my gosh, I was cold opening morning. But while I'm thinking of it, 
for you guys, for the listeners out there, and we've asked for you guys to leave reviews on, on iTunes or Stitcher, but we've also added the review tab to our Facebook page. Yes. So please, if you enjoy the podcast, go to our Facebook page, Land and Legacy, and leave us a review, and that helps encourage us to continue doing this week after week, um, late at night, and you know when we're doing the grind, and we're like, you know, is it worth it? We oh, can it's read, worth it. Re- read your review and go, yep, that's why we do it. So please and go check that out. YouTube as well, because these podcasts are now being filmed by Zach Shermer, who was on here a couple weeks ago, um, works with Slate and Glass. He is producing these and filming these podcasts, so they're available a couple days after we release on Sportsman's Nation. So you can leave a review, ask questions there on YouTube as well, following up these podcasts. And you may may not think that's a great feature quite yet, but you will as soon as we really start showing the details of maps and things like that. Um, If we're breaking down a property you will now be able to see us break it down and and know exactly what we're talking about. So we encourage you to check that out and leave us a review over there, please. And subscribe. So each time we add a video, um, you'll get notified that we've added a new one and you can check it out. Um, Now, last week we talked about the first film. Yep. Um, That went over really well. We got a lot of awesome feedback from everybody. Um, We're super excited to continue making those. And we've been filming those parts of those in the last couple of days. So, more is to come. Now, this week's podcast, we've kind of hinted at it, but we are going to cover the topic of food plots, but it's specifically food plot failures, the things that you do or don't do that causes your food plot not to be as successful as you had dreamed of. Um, so you may have the big goals to set over a beautiful green field that looks like the TV shows, and then you plant it, and it looks like a lime green yellowish patchy yard that's been sprayed <laughs> with herbicide and has been the pigs have been put in there yep. and just doesn't look like you thought we're going to hopefully help you avoid those problems in this week's podcast but who is this week's podcast brought to us by Huntera maps map the hunt and one other quick announcement this coming week so the this podcast releasing um, the second or third week of April. This is the opening week for sign up for national convention at QDMA this year down in New Orleans. We'll be speaking there, um, doing a couple podcasts while we're there as well. Um, super excited to be going back this year. So if you haven't, well, obviously you haven't signed up, but if you haven't thought about signing up or planning that trip, make it part of your summer. Um, it's a great time down there talking with other uh, landowners, hunters from across the country. And it's a cool thing to take your. Um, like we took our wives last year. We did. They, didn't, they yep. didn't go to the show with us. No, um, they don't want to hear us talk. No, I don't blame them. And they, uh, they basically had. I almost threw a little jab at you in there, but I didn't, wow. I'm going to just go on through it. <laughs> um, but they had a great time just going around and going to different things around the city oh, as yeah. well. So it's Lots a, it's a great opportunity to take the family down and and hang out while you're talking deer with us. That's right. So. Um, are you ready to kick this kicked off? Let's and, kick it. All right. So when I think of food plot failures, there's so many things. And well, frankly, we could probably, there's probably a few things that you may occur, that may occur on your farm that we aren't going to cover in this, but we're trying to hit the main things that cause your food plots to fail. Yep. 
number one, and, and this one, everyone can face it and face that different times of the year. You can't control it, but it's something that we need to talk about because there's techniques that we could use to help avoid the catastrophic failures involved with this, and that is a drought. Yeah. That, to me, I think a number number numero uno i don't think it was any surprise that someone we said drought first because yeah. again you, no, you just said, can't control it that's funny that, you're at the mercy because we're talking nature. about the things that you can do to help your be successful the problems to avoid but this is the, we kick it off with number <laughs> exception one. Uh, number one you can't control so uh yeah, yeah but it's the worst one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> groundbreaking right. um so the drought that was uh, a there, great pun said groundbreaking uh, yeah, and that right. leads us into what you can i wish i could avoid. say I that yes yeah so drought is one of those things that of course we're losing moisture and i said groundbreaking um one of the biggest ways that we can combat and fight off the drought is by not breaking the ground not plowing and disking and turning over the soil because basically every time we do that we are releasing Moisture and also exposing parts of the soil that were hidden that had moisture, we're exposing them to the sun, the wind, the elements to where they evaporate. So you are basically Get. trying to, in a roundabout way, when you're plowing and doing that, you're trying to release the moisture that's in the soil. That's exactly what you're doing. I mean, we have both experienced and, and talked about on the podcast, we've we've plowed dirt before. Like we have seen, if especially on plots are a little bit larger you make that first pass around you're like oh man look at that just beautiful turned dirt Love it's that dark smell. yeah the great smell by the time that you're done with it or, or your four or five passes um past that point you can look back and see a difference in the color of the soil that is a direct indication that i'm losing soil moisture that fast we're talking maybe 10 15 minutes and you can you can visually see a difference and think about this two weeks after the fact, like within the top layer of, of soil, especially if windy days mm. or just hot days, no mm. moisture, no dews, like you do not have soil moisture, but that's the very resource you're asking to be beneficial for the food plots that you're spending money on to help grow. And then you're wanting that forage to go and hunt over. It just, it's very counterintuitive when we, when we put so much time and effort and money into that soil and into this food plotting, you know, ma the management of food plots, but yet we we destroy or or limit the success by disking and by the removing. very first thing we do. Yeah, like yeah. we we start off with the we, we start instead of stepping with the right foot forward, we we just immediately go backwards. Yep. Yeah, I I think of uh you know I've said it I don't know how many you know, almost every podcast or every other podcast when I give the story about when I first started food plots I definitely say it almost every time we talk food plots but I think back to so like healthy soil you think big black dirt just mm -hmm. beautiful um have really fragrant it's got a beautiful Rich. smell to it just oh earthy but then you look at unhealthy soil and it's like a gray or mm -hmm. a, and it's just like oh, we're just really clay right. soils yeah, it just ugh. doesn't look great no well i remember years ago with all the plowing and disking we would do and we would have to start in early august to prep for planting in late august yep. um that and then if it turned off dry which it does a lot here in the ozarks um we would have exposed soil for several weeks if not months and over time that happens year after year we lose organic matter and you can go to a satellite image pull up the farm and you see white 
it looks like snow on the food plots and it's actually exposed soil with no moisture zero moisture just hot it's baking it's so again baked. we we've also talked about you know the the biotic life that's in that soil the microorganisms mm-hmm. the bacteria and when it's exposed to the elements the sun it cannot grow it basically the environment is way too harsh for those um species that life to sustain so you're killing all that again that's asking um the soil to be more productive based on that life being present but you're removing immediately when you're exposing it those to those elements the wind carries away precious nutrients topsoil um, and then if it rains really hard you have erosion issues when you're exposing um, that soil so you can't control drought no nope. but if you do not expose that soil you can limit the amount of basically felt stress on that food plot because yeah. you're not destroying its layers that's built up over time to help infiltrate the right amount of water and and keep it within you know, a healthy root system that's available for a longer time frame. Yeah. Instead of it either running off, never incorporating itself, or just straight infiltrating and getting to the water table and gone. Yep. It's held up in a layer that the, where the roots are, basically. Exactly. Yep. So... One thing I think we ought to talk about on this portion is rainstorms and being con- conscious of the weather when it's time to plant and the potential of, okay, I've got I've got this rain coming, this is forecasted, or I've got thunderstorms five days out, they're saying it's going to hit that afternoon. Where's like that gamble that like, do I, do I risk it early if I know I have rains coming? Do I plant maybe a, a week or two earlier than I should? Or do I do I bank and say, okay, um, in my area, I'll get a good heavy rain early that first part of food plot season, um, but I know I'll get some of those scattered storms later on. Like, I think that gamble is something everyone faces. Like, do I, do I go all in right now and plant with the first chance of rain? Or do I wait a little bit, maybe let that con- those conditions get a little bit better, warmer nights, um, warmer soil temperature? Like, in your opinion, what do you think is the best route? To me, I always base it off of, like, kind of just the overall average and try to say, okay, well, I know that it looks like... And, and I say that a little bit hesitant because last year... We actually debated this. Hey, we're actually getting rain in late July and a little bit of early August. Do we want to go ahead and plant? But then we were like, well, it's still early for us to get planted. And I don't want to plant something that, like, if you plant oats too early, they're going to go ahead and Mm -hmm. head out. Or wheat's going to go ahead and and turn to a a A stem instead of a blade. And so (coughs) then it's not going to make it through the winter. Um, and it's, so it's like, okay, well, let's just hold off. We're not quite ready. We don't have all our seed coordinated yet. Let's just hold off. And then we held off, but then we, we didn't got get zero any rain. more rain. And so we missed it. And some of the guys that planted early in that, in that risky late July, they actually had some food plots. Mm-hmm. And so we missed it. But to me, it's always been, okay, just the average of, okay, this is the time to plant this time of year. So fall food plots, I want to plant them in early or mid-August or late-August. Um, and then know that even in September, if I have a few little bit of cleanup or a couple little areas, I can still plant it and be successful. But that's kind of, for me, always the window. And when it comes to spring food plots, it's always May. I don't mm-hmm. like to get it in the ground in April, 
just because there's always a chance to get that really couple really hard couple cold like this snaps. year i wouldn't i wouldn't dare do it this year oh no <laughs> and, no. and uh and i remember it snowed may 6th i believe like five or six years ago mm-hmm. and some of the and a lot of the people that had corn in the ground it was this, six it was up six yeah. inches and they all had to replant mm-hmm. and they gambled with the early warmth we got but they got hammered with that late freeze yeah and so that's for me i always try to in our area try to be okay Middle early to mid-may for for like soybeans here our food plot stuff um and even like with some of these other blends i'll even plant late may early june um and now, of course, that's all variable because we plant some other stuff that we'll even, we're not even scared to plant in July if we have to. And that's the thing. Like, these these are your conventional – we're talking about conventional planting times right now. Yeah. You know, there's there's other species that you can use and help incorporate into different blends or, or different mixtures. Food plots in general are very, very diverse in what you can do. These are the conventional times that most people are wanting to get seed in the ground for – you know, grain production, you know, later in the, in the fall and winter time. But in general, right, we want to fall in that medium category. Don't want to risk it too early. And, and then if you get too late, you really get spotty on some of those rains that um, and this is, you I, bank on. And just I don't ever come. The farmer gets such a, there's some parts of society that really badmouth farmers. But you think about it, this group of people they base their livelihood off this gamble that we're this talking about every single year. Do I plant too early? Do I risk it, or do I go ahead and wait and mm-hmm. risk the chance that I, I miss the spring rains? Yep. And they do that every single year, and every single year they somehow still provide food for all of us. Yeah. Uh, and that and that's something. And then they get disrespected and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's just one of those things that I think is just. Whew, I, I I it's terrifying to me to bank my livelihood off of that gamble. Sure. Of, because uh, if we'd <laughs> we'd been sure in a lot of trouble if well, our livelihood was banked on our choice last fall. <laughs> well, and and here's the other uh, gamble that they have is when they're getting crops out of the field too. So, you know, do can I get equipment back in there if I get too many rains? You know, in the fall time, can I get that crop out? So yeah. it's a it's a, a stressful um, livelihood. Yeah, for so, sure. Anyhow. Another big common failure that we see, I think a lot of people experience um, unintentionally, of course, um, is overseeding plots. And yeah. I think I think the um, the common phrase, I guess, is, well, I'll just add more. It'll, it'll be fine. Or if, if you know, um, more is best, m- more is best. Right. That that mindset. Um, but when it comes to seeding food plots that is definitely not the case at all no, there's, there's a reason there's a we have recommended rates <laughs> yes yes i for think sure. of uh turnips is one of those uh brassica species is one of those that just always comes to mind mm-hmm. when planting too thick because you look at turnips and you say oh it's a little seed okay tiny 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 seed. i'm gonna plant this it's going to take a lot of these to cover an acre but and you look at the recommended use, it's like three to four pounds when mm-hmm. you're broadcasting. So it's like, okay, three to four pounds just per acre? That That's it? Am I really like a cover? Surely, eh, I want a few more. Yeah. And so, oh, I like them turnips. I want to see you, a big field of turnips. You plant them, and, and I, I saw this a lot as a kid when we were planting them, and we were throwing everything out by hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you would see where like we threw it and the main part of it would hit but then and they would be like really they'd be like one to two inches tall and they'd be turning yellow and no bulb yep. and they would wouldn't make it through the fall and then on the edge you would see actual nice size turnips you're like okay that's the rate we want to go with yeah and so that's a classic case and we see this a lot in the little bitty tiny kill plots that are like under the trees i'm gonna pack it in here where you're like well the heck with it I, i'll pack i i don't even know how to buy a bag for uh uh, they a don't tenth sell of an it acre. for tenth yeah. of an acre. They sell yeah. it for half an acre. So whatever. I don't want to leave the rest of the seed in my garage, so I'm just going to use it all in here. And it's funny because in that situation, especially, there's so much competition with trees around the edges, the canopy, the sunlight. Like That's a very competitive um, area and, and fighting for resources, again, with those root systems and the tree canopy. So if you're adding that many more seeds to... Um, the soil and and expecting to grow a great crop, you're going the opposite direction. So here, really less is more, um, and adding the additional or doubling a rate is not going to get you the stand that you're hoping to achieve. Yeah. What's so funny Sorry, there? I you're you're laughing over there I'm, oh. about my hat um, <laughs> that I'm wearing for the podcast. <laughs> uh, flat bill, as they said, because they know me, I don't wear those flat bills. So. Um, well, yeah. we, and we talked about this, the, you know, another podcast when we talked about TSI and we, we had the yeah. illustration of when you try and broadcast corn, you know, you see corn that grows too tight. It looks like it's a dwarf species of corn because there's so much competition, um, that with a root system, you have ears that are very small, very, they look miniature, or sometimes they abandon the ears. Um, they don't tassel quite right because there's just too many, if you will, stems per acre, stems per square foot in this food plot instance that they're not going to grow successfully. Yeah. And so reading and understanding the proper rates for each species that you're selecting to plant, super important, but then understanding their densities in a mixture is important as well so if it's three to four pounds of pure turnips in a food plot you don't want three to four pounds for turnips in a mixture you have to cut it back proportionally to the other seeds in a mixture and i think this is a shout out for the cutie may on this if you're looking if you're kind of just interested in food plot um, species a really good book is the quality food plots i had to turn and look yeah uh, it's in here but quality food plots um it's a QDMA book, and it has all, all kinds of great information. It's a great thing to check out. Um, if you're watching it on YouTube, you can see Matt holding it up now. Um, but it's a it's a really handy book to kind of look through in the back, and it gives all kinds of different species and, and talks about the poundage per acre and, and different things. It's just a really – It's a great guide. Informative, yeah, it's, it's basically like Bible of food plots. Right, right. So, so understanding – Seeding rates, super important. Easy way to fail. Easy yeah. way to fail with food plots. Um, the next one that we're going to talk about is poor seed to soil contact. And I think uh. this goes back to how we start the podcast with disking and and how, oh my gosh, I got to expose that soil. I got to get my seed to soil contact just right. I've, I've got to be able to... Um, you know, get that, get that contact and cult pack and firm it up and do this and that. Um, but if you go about this process in the wrong way, you can go backwards again instead of going forward. Um, so one of those is broadcasting in 
too heavy of a thatch if you're trying yeah. to start a new food plot. Talk about that for a second. I, I think of uh, a couple times where I've tried to plant a new food plot in certain areas when I was younger that was like, uh, it was a it was a fescue pasture, but like it, I was planting because cows weren't in there. So it was like, okay, I'll just spray it. It hadn't I'll, been grazed. It was I'll thick just, thatch. Thick, thick. And I'll just spray it. And I'll broadcast it and uh, we'll just hope for the best. And it didn't come up very well at all because the seed basically set in that thick thatch layer never actually made it to it the got soil. caught up. And, uh, yeah, so it was basically just throwing seed in the bushes and hoping for the best. And so I, I failed miserably. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes if you go in and you, let's say, you just bush hog a field and you broadcast your seed... You still don't get great seed to soil contact, even though you brush hog the field. You have a heavy thatch layer, and that's why. And that's that's laying crisscross, yeah. mix matched, clumped up, and it just is so uneven. You can't expect in a to get basically a good, clean, um, organized food plot. Like yeah. it's it's going to grow uneven because the thatch is unevenly distributed across that food plot. That's right. Um, we, we're going to talk about this method of, of you know, spraying a food plot, broadcasting, and then rolling. I know it's going to come up later in the, in the podcast, but this is one of those instances where if you were to change the order of that basically technique and you were to spray, roll, and then broadcast, you would have a heavy thatch layer that your seed is now trying to... Uh, what's what's that game that where like the the seed tries to like plinko 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 on, uh, prices right yeah. yeah it's like trying to bounce through like the layers and get down to the soil um, so that's why it's important in that scenario to broadcast prior to rolling and yeah. allow it to get to the ground and then be protected by that thatch or that vegetation over top of it again we're gonna talk about that more in a little bit um, but understanding that role of that thatch and what it can do. And, and sometimes even the seed size itself, you know, if you've got a larger seed, you're trying to, um, get down, you know, to the ground level, it's gonna It might hang up easier just depending on the type of thatch, but a clover might eventually get down there. Yeah. Um, and, and, and even if it's a soybean, it's a bigger seed, you still need to be, it takes more seed to soil contact for a soybean than it does a clover. Correct. And so that's one thing that even if you get soybean to the surface of the soil, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to germinate. It mm-hmm. needs good contact so it can germinate correctly. So, which uh, I to, think this is maybe it's a good time because we're talking about seed to soil contact. Mm-hmm. This is a good time to um, talk about ideal situations, as we've always said, is no-till drilling yeah. using a planter. That is that most ideal situation because. You can eliminate a lot of the variables. Now, drought still comes into play, but heavy thatch, um, seed cutting soil wheels. contact, yep. all that can be helped and almost prevented, avoided, avoided yeah. all those problems because of using a no-till drill. That's why we are huge advocates of using a no-till drill because you just you rule out a lot of variables that come into play and a lot of variables that are no longer a factor because you've er- eliminated them with the no-till drill. So. Yeah, you you graduate above those common failures by implement by using that implement and and say, okay, I don't have to worry about this. Like I I have overcome this just by using this no-till drill, this like piece of equipment. Yeah, I've eliminated the fact that I have to turn the soil, and I've eliminated the fact that I have to 
And I'm not this, losing soil get, moisture. See, yep. see, yeah, I, I no longer lead. Great. I, yeah, exactly. So uh, I put my cr- seed in the ground at the correct height yep. or the correct depth. Um, so there's just a lot of things that the no-till drill can really help you out. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we, now we've talked about this broadcast and roll method in these instances of smaller food plots or where you don't have access to a no-till drill um, or you only have the one quarter acre food plot. This is a way to help um, eliminate some more of those variables, but it yes. still has its problems. Mm-hmm. And one of those is that you don't get the best seed to soil contact. And if you're on an air, if you're in an area where you have bad soil health, so your soil is hard it takes a lot of pressure to get that seed to actually go into the soil and, and be taken in so it germinates correctly. Um, we've had problems with this method of, of broadcasting and rolling when we don't have a thatch layer and we don't have enough rain to loosen up the soil to where the seed just sits on top and it can't penetrate the soil because the soil is so hard. Um, and And that is likely the case of... That having was, dished prior. That was totally 100% the case of... It was self-induced. For 10 years of plowing and disking, as we eliminated, we really killed the soil health to where there's not a lot of organic matter. So mm-hmm. uh, did we talk about that scenario? I forget what it was, the brick versus a sponge. We have uh, not discussed okay, on the that, podcast that, yet. So anyway, we're just looking at correct soil. So a healthy great soil yeah. is really more absorbent and can take in moisture and nutrients and flexes, seed as well. Voice. And that's why when you walk across like healthy soil, it kind of has that, like when it's rained or whatever, it kind of has a spongy feel. I, I think of Kansas like in the springtime. Like yeah. when you walk, it's it's like a cushion yeah. almost. You know, that you it's really easy on your knees. Like you can walk miles and miles like, oh, I'm good. Like that soil has like, it almost like breathes. It's like it's a cloud. It's kind of like... Uh, you know? Some of those offices where they're concrete floor, they have mats that are real spongy. Yeah, yeah. And then you have a, where it's not, it's just concrete. That's the difference between healthy soil and, and mm-hmm. bad soil health. So, And that's really kind of, once you get healthy soil, you have you you can get away with a lot more in this broadcasting seed. It grows because you have great soil health. But if you have bad soil health after years and years of plowing, you really have to fight hard you, to have a successful crop. You're working a lot now. more <laughs> input, a yes. lot more like as far as fertilizer and lime, a lot more work to actually get the seed to the correct depth, um, and it's just a, it's a headache that we're trying to help you prevent. Yes, which that covers that. Planting too deep, you mentioned it there, and the the hassles um, of of basically turning that soil, going that extra step, it is sometimes very difficult to regulate how deep that soil is, that seed is actually getting into soil, especially when you come back and you have to either cultipack or you have to um, use a harrow or you lightly disc a food plot. It's so easier. That that technique is, is not precise, basically, yeah. to then say after you broadcast into a disc field and you have to come back and add, you know, turn the soil back over, you, you don't know really what depth. It's going to be uneven. The distribution totally. is like, I could have two inches over here, one inch here, quarter here, just because of the, even the moisture across the field is different, so it's going to clump up different. Like, it's completely, it's, a, it's your hands are up in the air, you're just, it's a guessing game yep. when you have to do that. Yeah. Um, but, like we, what we said, that no-till drill, you, you take that guesswork out of it. Because you can set the depth 
you know, one inch, two inch, and be good. And Quarter inch, not only that, but you can inch. set the calibration of how much seed goes out per acre. Oh yeah, to where it's just like Once you, you, get you that know exactly what it's you did. as simple as just dropping the dropping the uh, no-till drill and driving and letting it go. Yes, um, yes. But when it comes to it's more guesswork and everything when you go into disking, plowing, broadcasting. And I think of even using like hand spreaders. Um, <laughs> I'll give a short story for you. In using spreaders, um, like your little hand spreaders, I know everybody, almost everybody who's ever planted a food plot has used them at one point or another. And you've gone through with wheat and you're like, oh, I'll just, I don't want to make four passes around this food plot. I'm going to make two passes. So I'm just going to open up the gauge more. And you're like, you're just letting her rip. And you're throwing the seed out. And then you're like, well, I, I want to add some brassicas to it. So you're like, well, I only want to make one pass or two passes on this. So I'm going to open up a little bit more. And you try and you think that it's spreading out all nice and even. Well, and then you return a month later and you climb up in the tree stand. And, and the food plot's all green, but like it's it strips. It's dark patchy. green over here. And then you have real tall brassicas over here to where you just had strips. Mm-hmm. And f- where basically it's your walking path. And that's a problem when you use the hand spreaders as well. So it's it's very you you have to know what you're doing and, and kind of really understand that just because you're kind of walking through that area doesn't necessarily mean you're getting an even distribution of seed. And that's where if you do it too heavy, you're ultimately not going to have anything. So other than weeds. Talking about planting too deep, this is a, a funny illustration I, I remember from working in Maryland. We had like an office and and. Um, everyone in the office like I want something kind of pretty to look at so I, we had some like leftover food plot seed and I think um there's some crimson clover or something and uh I go like, oh, it's gonna bloom it you know it, it'll be nice anyhow planted it and at that time um someone else was had basically prepared it and they had actually dissed a strip just a long strip down the driveway and someone had gone and, and broadcasted the seed and someone who didn't know what was going on, the the project, there was basically like a little nursery up there. And they took like one of the UTVs and just accidentally drove across the strip um, that had been planted. Like, oh, whoops, whatever. I didn't, what, what's going on here? They didn't know what was planted. Um, a week later, what had happened was that only in the tire tracks that that UTV had cut across was where there was green clover growing. Like it, to that degree... It, I was talking about earlier, like that seed to soil soil contact, contact, that was the only place that was successful. Very sporadic in the areas. Maybe if someone walked across with their boot in that boot print itself, you could see seed or, or, or clover germinating and popping up, but everywhere else, it was a very, very uneven stand. Um, so understanding, you know, the differences between that no-till drill, that single pass that you take across the field versus the disking, then the broadcasting, and then having to come back and cover that seed, you get very different um, distribution of that seed success across the, the, yeah. the food plot. And that's why the cult packer, that's why a lot of people, a use, lot of people them use it for that. Even it back out then, consistently. Yeah. yeah. And for me, I like them as the roller. And, and yeah. we talked about that. It's, I'd two, it's basically twofold for, cult for us. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a definitely a, a, a failure that people have had. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. Um, planting seed at the wrong time of the year. Just yeah. understanding, you know, we all, we all think about, you know, I want to I know 
um, deer, your your game species that you're going after during the hunting season. I want to know the ins and outs of them, what they need. Um, but we have to understand that to the same degree, the species in a food plot mixture or, or a crop that you're trying to have the biggest yield or return. You have to understand that crop very the, the very details of it to be successful to have the best stand that you can what it likes what it doesn't like the best times so you can't go out and expect to i think your the notes here say sun hemp in the fall like that seed yeah sure you could plant it and it but, might come up for a little while yeah but, but as soon as it maximized. frosts boom it's done. done done like we we have to understand that there's a window or a time frame and understand which species work best during this and then match that to honestly the landscape that the property's in like what what are my nutritional uh, what am i missing in a in a diet of a deer or in a turkey whatever my goals are what am i providing in the natural habitat and then what do i need to supplement that with in the food plot world and what's my window to do that if you're just picking randomly, it's not the best or I, I use saw of your this time. Last year, um, when you see spring food plot mixes go on sale at the end of the summer, mm-hmm. and somebody says, man, that's cheap. I'm going to buy that and try it. Well, there's a reason why it's discounted. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then they go out and broadcast some millets and milo and, yeah. and some uh, soybeans. And it's like August. And you're like, you might get some growth. Well, it only got two and a half foot tall. And, and, and the question was, why why did I see it? Like, why, why is it only this tall? I thought it was going to get taller. Well, I thought, there's, I thought there was supposed to be a seed head on that thing. You you missed the window <laughs> by about two months. Yeah. And so that's one thing I see a lot where you plant the wrong species or a species at the wrong time of the year. People love clovers for food plots. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, if we haven't educated ourselves enough on this, you may say, oh, it's food plot season. I see guys guys are talking about food plots. I want a clover food plot. I'm going to go plant it. Yeah. And you're planting it in April or May, uh, probably May, and you're like, oh, okay, I planted some clover. Well, that clover grew to be one inch tall or two inches tall. and Came then all in of a sudden, really thick, but then it just disappeared. S- summer hit it and dried it up and killed it. And you're like, what in the world? I planted that clover. It looked good. Well, that's because you planted it at the wrong time of the year. Mm-hmm. And so know what species, what your goal is, and then know what time of the year to plant it. Um, I Sometimes I see soybeans get planted in the fall, which are fine if you have enough of a growing period where they can grow, deer like them, but you're never going to get pod production if you're no. planting it that late in the fall. And they're extremely attractive, so they will achieve a goal um, of getting deer into a food plot. But right, if you're looking for pod production, you're not going to achieve it then. And, and don't be afraid to ask questions either. No. Um, with you know, is this a good blend? Well, first let's understand the goals that you're trying to achieve in that plot in that area of a farm, and then we could say, yeah, you you're gonna see that um, that food plot be successful when you use this mixture, plant at this rate, this time of the year, and make sure you know you've got plenty of sunshine getting to that food plot. Yeah, and and understand that a seed is is going to ideally germinate at a certain soil temperature. Mm-hmm. So if you're planting a, a soil, t- a seed that takes whatever, let's say corns, 60, corns at 60 degree soybean soil 60. temperature, yep. and you plant it when the soil, when the soil is extremely hot, you're not giving its best 
case scenario for survival. So you have a seed that's now surviving and not thriving. Yes. And yep. so every time you go with surviving and not thriving, you're you're losing money. Mm-hmm. And so we're just we're here trying to help you avoid losing lots and lots of money and wasting lots and lots of time in your food plot world. Just yes, yeah, seeing success in in the time that you take to do the work. You want to be successful. You want to hunt over these food plots. And again, like you said, they are, especially if you have bad soil, you need to put a lot of inputs into the soil to get a decent crop or get a crop period out of some areas that are selected. And I think that's another one that honestly we don't have on here is poor food plot area selection. You're just choosing a horrible place to put a food plot and say, hey, I... I'm, I'm expecting something to grow here. So site index is another one that we need to add because how many places have we gone to that's just always wet? It's yeah. oh, it's an open area, but it's always wet. And we talked about that. That that goes with the whole drought talk is mm-hmm. because you're preparing that soil to not hold soil moisture. You also, if you're plowing and disking, you're breaking up the porous factor of that soil to where now water just sits on it and it doesn't infiltrate through the, through the soil profile. So it goes from one extreme to the other. And that's mm-hmm. why you th- almost think of like deserts. Deserts yep. go really hot to really cold at night. Mm-hmm. Same thing can happen with soil. You go from really dry to really wet and mm-hmm. healthy soil is should always be moist, but not too dry, too wet. In, in our area, we, we commonly see because they're halfway open already or should be, glades and a lot of people are trying to plant these glades that are very shallow soil rocky and get beat by the sun south southwest facing slopes and those areas even though they're open and and don't have you don't have to cut down as many trees probably to have a food plot per se the success there is going to be limited um based on the condition the index of that site so be mindful of that when you're selecting an area understand the goals for that that portion of the the farm and if that site can't do it don't yeah. expect much and, and or, basically in simple terms if that site is not ideal for soybeans it's going to take a lot of fertilizer and lime to get those soybeans to flourish the way you expect them to so you have to look at it and say is i guess this is a stupid term but is the juice worth the squeeze that's it is it worth all that money to get it there, or should you look at some other situation or other location to plant soybeans and let that be something else? And that's exactly. the great thing. This is my plug for natives. Mm. That's the great thing about native species that if they if the soil hasn't been just disturbed or basically if destroyed, there's a still a native seed bank there, a native soil type too, as far as you haven't done a lot of damage to it is. The natives were, are able to flourish without all those inputs. That's what I love about native grasses and wildflowers is the fact that the natives don't take all that fertilizer and lime to have them grow every single no. year. And then you look at f- tall fescue and it takes a lot of fertilizer and lime to get it to be as productive as those um, native grasses um, just because they're not adapted to that soil. So there's my little plug for you on that. So. So another thing to to be mindful, we kind of touched on it, is just blends that don't make sense. Blends that have seeds that shouldn't be associated with one another, that don't um, help achieve the goal 
that there's a lot of marketing schemes out there. I guess when it comes to food plots there and really? mixes, there are. I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, and um, just that's why educating yourself on on each seed, on each species, um, and understanding those environments. It's important to know that not every blend out there is a good blend or just a blend that's mixed it, well. Just because it has a buck on the bag doesn't mean it's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so <laughs> I think true. Of when you, and when you see a, and try to understand what species are for certain times of the year. So like there's species that should be planted in the spring, early summer. Some should be planted in the fall, um, late summer. And when you see some of those get mixed, you should automatically go, okay, why are they mixed? Like mm-hmm. what's the goal here? And if or, it doesn't or... have a specific, a specific goal that makes sense it's probably a filler blend where you have species uh that are great sure that's a, that's a good species to be planting at that time of the year but why is this one in here that's probably just a filler seed. things to steer clear of is terms like year-round nutrition provided in this bag yeah don't buy it <laughs> yeah please or don't. certainly do more research yeah, yeah. Um, That's a very bold statement when it comes to a blend offering that much. Especially if there's not many species in that blend. Now, if it's got a a bunch of species and you look at it, you're like, okay, there's all kinds of stuff. This one fills this window. This one fills this window. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. Okay, I can get by with that. But if it's not a lot of species in that blend and it says year-round, then whoop, red flag, probably not. Probably yes. not what you're looking for. Yes. So just be cautious of that. And and just, again, educate yourself. Avoid those mistakes. Bad seed germination. Um, and that, immediately, we, we talk about the storage of the seed. How has it been stored in an off-season um, for you to have great seed germination when you actually put that seed in the ground? Whether yes. it's too hot or too cold. Um, I think it's sometimes when you, you have seed left over, and you're like, oh, I'll just store it for next year. And big seed, like a soybean, oh, I didn't plant all that. I'm going to store it. And you just store mm-hmm. it out in the barn. And that barn goes from 80, 20, uh, I don't know, maybe. I said 80. But let's say it goes to 110 in the summer and yeah. bakes in there. And then it go, drops down to teens or single digits in the winter. It's probably not going to have a great germination. No. And so then you have to account for it. And you're just guessing most likely what the germination is. And then you go out and plant it. So you may have spots where you're like, boy, it looks like only 60% came up. Well, it probably happened. Probably because of the storage. And you didn't account for that germination where you planted at a higher rate to where you could actually get the ideal pounds per acre. You're expecting 95%, but in reality, because of that, you're you're really getting 60%. And you got a lot of holes to fill in that food plot. So definitely understand that and know where your seed comes from. And read the label. Read a label. I think that might be one of the next ones, is it? Is, yeah. Understanding pure live seed and what that percentage means in a food plot blend. And what the difference is between pure live seed count and the population count that they're recommending for a specific seed to be planted at per acre. And so a population is going to be the exact number of seeds that goes into one acre of planting and understanding what that is, because each year, based on conditions um, experienced in, you know, 
growing conditions, whether it's a hot year, a dry year, a wet year, the seed sizes, a soybean seed is going to vary each year based on that growing season. So the population count will then fluctuate from year to year. And so your seeding rate is going to change from maybe 100,000 to 120,000 from year to year. So you just have to be conscientious of what that is based on that seed and that seed taken from the year prior when it comes to population. And then understanding pure live seed count versus the percentage of that seed in a mixture. So if you if you have 25% um, clover, oh, clo- okay. I was going to say 25% clover. Let's say you've got, let's just make, make it really easy, four different species and your um, pure live seed count is not going to add up to the total weight of the entire bag because you have things like um, a seed coat on some of those blends inoculation. or inoculation on those on those specific seeds. So, yeah, your overall weight is going to be 50 pounds in that bag, but your pure live seed may only be 38 to 40 pounds in that seed. So you you have to account for the 38 pounds, not the total 50 pounds that's the bag is saying. It's a 50 pound bag, but your total seed count really is around 38. So that factors into your planting rate for that field. If that makes sense, you have to account for the additives onto that seed. That's pure live seed versus population. So and then you brought up the inert matter. Yeah. You I, see I, that I, number thrown in there. Like, what, what, what is this? Matter? Yeah, oh, or, oh. or like uh, you see a, a label that says 40 pounds and and 30 pounds is the seed, or or the seed makes up 80, 80% of the mm-hmm. bag, and you're like, okay, and then 10% is inert matter, and you're like, what in the world? It's, it's important that you understand how much seed you're actually getting in a Correct. bag. Correct. That's going to affect... And then that goes into, rate. I think there was a great article on QDMA about that. On, on Then that actually go, should be taken into how many pounds per acre you're planting, not just going, well, here's a 40-pound bag. Blah. Yeah. It's this per acre. Well, Same thing with that pure live seed count. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway. Be conscious of that. Read the tag. Understand what that tag means. And you'll see PLS on a seed tag. That's pure live seed. And then you might see a recommendation for population uh, whether it's you know a, a bigger grain like your uh, like a wheat or a corn or a soybean that's going to be the number of seeds per acre that they recommend that year um, so understanding that to get good germination eva- avoid bad seed germination herbicide problems is the next one you know herbicide treatments are so common when you're preparing a plot or maintaining a plot um, but there's so many it's, it's a deep understanding of the, the chemistry that goes in to the herbicide work to terminate an exact species or exact type of plant, whether it be a broadleaf or a grass, but understanding what each herbicide, its target, and the way it terminates plants, yeah. critical. Yeah, and I think, once again, read the label we could try and break all this down but there's so many herbicides out there for so many different applications that it, it's that's just 10 easier. podcasts that's not one got, podcast that's 10, 10 podcasts and by nine everybody's like shut up about herbicides <laughs> yeah. and so we're just going to tell you read the label and look for the residual effects um 
on that. Mm-hmm. So the the example that I have, the story I have for this is um, spraying out a species, a broadleaf with like 2,4-D or some sort of broadleaf herbicide and thinking, okay, that's done. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to plant my species. And you go back in and you plant some sort of broadleaf and you're like, okay, yeah, it's all good. It's I, I sprayed that and now everything's done. Um, and that species, let's just say I sprayed out a bunch of broad leaves and cl- some clovers. I wanted to try and kill off the clover that was there because it was more of a weed than, than actual beneficial. And I went back with a broad leaf and brassicas and I planted them and they came up germinating. I thought, okay, it's great. And then all of a sudden they turn yellow. Well, there was a, there was still active herbicide in that soil. There was residual effects from that herbicide. So that's definitely something to consider when you are using herbicides on your food plots. That's a, it's a huge thing, if, especially if you get a farmer who has used commercial and larger amounts and done a broad spectrum um, controlling weeds in his crop fields. And then you say, hey, can I, can I plant this portion? That's a big window. Um, but some of the, the herbicides that sterilize the ground basically last weeks and months throughout yeah. a growing season. So it's not just a, a week or, or a couple days when it comes to potentially converting cropland into food plot land. So understand, you might have to call that farm and be like, hey, did you spray anything this year that I need to be you know aware of before I plant? Understand that. So you could just avoid wasting time and money on food plots. And know what type of, uh, here's another one for you, uh, using Tordon RTU to treat some locusts and know that, and, and this story is I saw where somebody had told basically that you could foliar treat with Tordon RTU. Do. Don't do it. Please Oof. don't. And they foliar treated these little honey locust saplings growing. They were like one and two foot tall. They sprayed them out the food plots and all of a sudden the soybeans next to it started mm-hmm. dying and there was this ring and the and the outside of the ring where the soybeans are still growing they looked like they'd gotten sprayed with herbicide and they were all Stunted. gnarly and nasty yep. so it's definitely important to know what herbicide you're using and what the ground how ground af- active it is what the residual effects are and what your long-term goals are for that for that uh, piece of ground and and then that goes back to mixes too if you have a lot of grasses and broadleafs mixed in together you can't really find a great herbicide most times to effectively treat weeds. No, in I... that pl- in that plot, and understanding and identifying weeds specifically will save you so much money down the road when it comes to selecting the right herbicide. Yeah, to use because you. How many times do we talk to people, clients, or just uh, people we come in contact with? Hey, I got grasses in my clover plot, but I- I've sprayed them with clethodim, and and they're not dying. Well, they might not be a grass. It's Maybe. probably a sedge. Or but, a rush. Yeah. Identifying that weed on the front end would have saved you so much money and time. So don't be afraid to be a, a plant ID nerd. It will help you out. Buy for sure. those books. We should find the books that we recommend and put them in the show notes as yes, well. Yes, that's a great idea. Um, because there are so many things out there to learn and understand as far as sedges. And that was something I struggled with early on. And that brings up another point about... Um, putting food plots in areas that maybe not sh- yes. should not have is when you see a lot of sedges and things coming up. That's probably a pretty good indicator wet that there's a feet. wet uh, there's wet soil there, and so you can't plant something that can't take wet feet there as well. Um, 
What was the other thing I was going to say here, and I cannot remember. So let's clean do... out the sprayer. Yes, I, I've heard. I used to uh, work at a golf course when I was growing up. Played golf in college and spent a lot of time there. But there's horror stories of a, a, a basically they rented a sprayer to spray greens, and they had not cleaned out the sprayer tank from the golf course who had rented it prior, and oh. they did not understand the herbicide that they had used. In the tank, so the first couple greens that they ended up spraying killed them. Killed them. Yeah. You talk about a bad day. Wow, bad bad day. But clean out the sprayer. It doesn't. It, that's just routine maintenance talk. Anyhow, whenever you're done, herbicides are like they're made out of salt, so they're corrosive. So you have got to clean those out um, after you're done using them, or you'll see build up rust residue from year to year. But just clean it out, especially if you're changing the herbicides. And and if it has a motor as well. Yeah. That's one the bad pump, thing. Everything. The pump, it's yeah. just bad. Like glyphosate is on horrible on, on <clears throat> like uh pump filters and and uh they can just flat eat up some rubber. Mm-hmm. And so just make sure you get them cleaned out. But I remember what it was now on food plot failures. We haven't talked about this, but clover food plot failures. So another thing is weeds. I know weeds is in here, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, We'll save it for then, then. Okay. Um, that covers herbicide problems. Seed protection. And this, we talked about, you know, yeah. using a no-till drill, just getting that seed directly into the ground, Problem avoiding solved. that mistake, or avoiding, you know, the potential for the mistake of not having a cover or a um, vegetation over top of the um, the seed that you broadcasted. So what's something that can consume that seed? Birds. Oh, yeah. How many times? Birds like, and squirrels. Squirrels will carry and like, I, I, gosh, what, what? Oh, we were we were planting one year and like the next couple days after we planted and it's really rocky ground. Um, we kept seeing so many squirrels just making trips and trips and trips back and forth, back and forth, storing up and, and basically burying this seed to have it for late winter. Yeah. And but it was a serious problem. Crows are horrible. Doves are horrible. Blackbirds are horrible. Robin, any type of stinking bird, turkeys can wipe out a food plot if you have seed just laying on top of the ground. Yeah. It's so easy. It's a meal ticket. It's a buffet. So how do we combat that? We like to do the broadcast roll method. And existing vegetation in a food plot, roll and lay that over top of the seed that you've broadcasted. It does wonders for protecting the soil, all that. But quite frankly, just practicality, reality is, it protects the seed. It, it does not allow the sun to just damage it, overheat it, um, increases the germination rate. But birds, it's so much harder for them to pick through and find it. Yeah. We like to no-till drill or that sure. method. So uh, basically, in a roundabout or in simple terms... We like to keep the soil, the soil and seed covered. There's mm-hmm. armor for the soil and there's armor for the seed. Yes, and that's the biggest way we can combat because if we're we're basically hiding the seed from the birds and the animals by mm-hmm. having some sort of thatch or cover crop um, laid over to give the soil armor and protect that seed from being eaten. But we also know germination is not going to be quite as high when we broadcast and we are still going to lose some to birds. We're still going to lose some to squirrels. Um, so we bump up a seeding rate 15-20% typically in those areas, in those instances when we're broadcasting yep. to combat that. So 
Heavy rains also can wash away seed that's uh, unprotected. I see Erosion. this a lot with frost seeding clovers. Uh, a lot of times we frost seed that clover four to five before the last four to five frosts. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you broadcast that, uh, we did. The, I did this one year to where we broadcast and they were calling for a half inch of rain, and all of a sudden it kept raining and raining and raining. And when we had uh, germination. A couple weeks later, we had lots of green and little piles <laughs> on the bottom side of the food plot because yep. it had gotten washed off. How what? many times, like in the early spring, you see a farmer who's gone and planted corn and eat, got it like inch and a half, <clears throat> two inches deep? Excuse me. He's getting real emotional. About it. <coughs> Woo! Um, but then you get those heavy rains and you get these channels, these washouts across these fields, and you see corn on either side of that ditch or channel. But in that, that stream, there is no, no. corn. Yeah. It does not grow. Yeah. It is washed away. So being conscious of that. And one way, a couple ways you can combat that is always having armor on the soil, having something to help keep down erosion. Um, so if you've disc and plowed or plowed and disc, you are way more susceptible for drought, losing moisture, but also erosion and having your soil and Big seed time. washed away. Big time. So that's why no-till drilling and keeping armor on the soil, keeping something growing Active will always system. win in, yep. in this fight. Okay, we covered it earlier, um, planting too early, too late. Yeah. The seed is triggered by the temperature yeah. of the soil. And so you could plant too early, it germinates, you get hit with a cold spell, it kills it. So that's yep. where you wouldn't go out and plant soybeans in March or February because you wanted to have, instead of having four-foot-tall beans, you want to have eight-foot. It just doesn't make sense. It, doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like that. There are no <laughs> shortcuts. So no. you need to know what time frame is best, and that way you don't plant too early or too late. Like if you planted corn in July or August and it needed a certain amount of days to mature, you're not going to have an ear. You may get a stalk, but you won't have the ear. Yep. So that's why it's important to plant at the right time of the year. Correcto. Now what do we have? Poor soil health. We've talked about it, the ways you can you know, basically have poor soil health, the ways we can damage it. Um, but we're talking a little bit like very small amounts of organic matter in the soil. Um, that's the glue. This is a whole nother podcast, but that makes soil healthy. It retains moisture in the soil. It makes things work. Um, but if you've damaged that, if you destroyed that, if you don't have that, your success, again, is going to be limited. You have to amend it, amend the soil, put nutrients back into it um, to basically band-aid each year yes. each season get that crop to basically have some sort of yield um and you could do it with the with the amendments but it just costs more money yeah. if you take care of that soil you don't have to put those in each and every year just mind your soil it's a resource manage it appropriately um so it's lacking soil nutrients take the soil sample understand um what it is that you need to do. Each crop itself, again, we talked about it, is different in its needs. Clover is really heavy on phosphorus. If you're low on um, phosphorus count in a place that you want to establish clover, put phosphorus in. Um, Understand that that is a legume, so you might be a little bit lower on nitrogen, but in a couple of years, you're going to build it back up. Understanding that process and reading soil samples um, to make the appropriate decisions is super important. That was the thing that I was going to say earlier that I was going to touch on. And mm-hmm. clover failures was a lot of times you see this like, oh, well, after four years, it, it went away. I had too many. That three weeds. to four year window, people are like, oh, I'm fed up with this clover. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm constantly mowing weeds. Well, the problem is 
you you're planting a monoculture of legumes with clover so it's doing nothing but fixating nitrogen and putting nitrogen back into the soil but then you don't have anything you're not putting anything in that soil to take that nitrogen out that way that's whenever you have that's a when the little weeds open say. spot and the weeds take over nature's just trying to put arm on the soil so you get a bare soil and all of a sudden there's a weed seed there it germinates and it grows super quick and you're like why well it has an abundance of nitrogen um, in the soil that it it's has able to a fertilized food plot it has a fertilized food and plot sunlight. that it just grows like crazy and that's why after four years you have four years of nitrogen fixation and an abundance of, overabundance an overabundance of nitrogen in the soil so the way to combat that is to plant diversity Woo-hoo. so in the in the fall you can drill in wheat notes um and help tap into that nitrogen so now you're going to have a great nurse crop for that clover but you're also going to have more food for the wildlife and it's going to help fight the weeds over time so ideal situations every year you have a clover food plot that fall you plant wheat or oats or some type of um, cereal grain to help take that nitrogen out of the soil so bingo there you go um liming i think it this is one of those things where uh so many studies have seen have shown that liming, it takes six to seven months for that lime to fully incorporate itself and change the, the soil chemistry to help neutralize things, get things back to a, a healthy pH. Um, but that's a long time frame. So if you need to to lime your soil, don't lime it in, in let's say, March, plant in April and think that your soil chemistry and pH balance is good to go. It takes time for that to fully work and incorporate itself um, to, again, change that chemistry and balance things back out. So understanding that soil um, science, understanding the soil sample, reading it, and making the amendments amendments at the appropriate, basically, size, how much you need in there, but then at the right times, too. It's another thing, too, to know that too much, that what was the phrase I used at the beginning? More is not always best, yeah. especially with this as well, lime and fertilizers. If you put a ton of, if you think, oh, the recommended, the soil sample says 100 pounds of fertilizer, uh, whatever it is, and you're like, well, 200 will be better, probably not the case. So follow the directions mm-hmm. accordingly. Um, Woo! <clears throat> lack of weed control. Uh, this is a bigger one. Yeah. Um, just not, not taking the time... I think to properly understand the seed bank, to understand the mixture that you or the blend that you're planting, how to go about controlling weeds, whether you need to do a really good job up front or if it's Roundup ready. Planting um, the same thing over and over and over and over yep. is not ideal either. No, because those the seeds that are there, the, the wheat seeds, they will build up a resistancy in your food plots to the herbicide because they keep getting hit every single year. And so they're getting stronger and stronger and stronger to basically not be terminated by that herbicide. So yeah. you might need to switch up the herbicide that you use, which may mean you need to switch the um, crop that you're planting to, to basically terminate and stop those weeds that are getting resistant. I think of Zach's family farm, um, Oh, pigweed. Yeah, they had a pigweed that was getting resistant to glyphosate. So we had to make the recommendation to say, okay, instead of planting Roundup Ready soybeans, we're going to switch it up, and you ought to plant Liberty Link soybeans and use a different herbicide. What was it? Like Inferno or something like that? Uh, uh, yeah. so it's something flame. 
something name. That's how I remember it. But a different herbicide to uh, for a couple years to I'll read basically the label. <laughs> fight back that pigweed that had gotten resistant to glyphosate. Had to change it up. Same crop, but different um, herbicide to combat those things. So understanding what's in the seed bank, the best way to control it, and the best time frame too yeah. when it comes to uh, terminating weeds earliest is best because they can get very don't tough. Don't make seed. Don't well, don't make seed, and once they get a really good root system, they can be darn right tough to kill. Yeah. Go through those one more time. In a nutshell, we're gonna do a wrap up for you. So yep. failures in food plotting, drought, drought, no soil moisture. You're you're damaging that by either disking, um, not protecting that soil. Um, as a resource, or you miss rains, you you miss the time frame to successfully uh, in your area. It's different for every area, but to plant and have good soil moisture. You don't pay your preacher enough. That's what I was heard. <laughs> <laughs> or you don't number, do you don't rain dance enough. What, what's the number two? Um, overseeding food plots. Planting not, too thick. Yeah, poor seed soil contact. That one speaks for itself. The yeah. next one, planting too deep, um, planting seed at the wrong time of the year. Not understanding that seed, what it needs, and understanding um, the best times to plant those seeds. Bad seed germination. Another one speaks for itself. You could say um, too hot or too cold. You may have weevils. We didn't we didn't discuss that. They get into older seed. You're not storing it properly. You're not understanding pure live seed count or population count um, in that seed mixture, that bag you might be buying. Herbicide problems, resistancy, um, residuals, or you're not cleaning out a sprayer can often lead to failed food plots. Um, protecting the seed once it is planted, whether you have a no-till drill, you're getting into the right depth, covering it back up with a packing wheel or a cult packer, um, or if you're broadcasting, you're not having a thatch or vegetation layer lay back over top of it, you can easily experience um, a food plot failure or heavy rains washing seed away, planting again or too early or too late, or soil health is just out of whack. You've done your soil test and it comes back. You have very little organic matter, um, your soil nutrients. You're deficient in this. You have too much of this. The um, pH levels are way off. You just need to understand that and make the proper amendments to get it balanced for each specific crop or food plot species you are trying to plant. Um, and then weed control. There you have it. Boy, that, that hour went by fast. Yeah, it did. I mean, um, really fast. Shoot, we're at an hour and eight minutes. Would you rather? Yeah. Who's it brought by this week? Who's doing that? Deer Lab. Deer Lab. Mm. Man, I, I, just hearing that. We haven't that, talked about it a whole lot, but don't you worry. It's coming. It is coming because that software is stinking incredible. It's just we're, we're turkey in the turkey mind frame right now. We are. Turkey Full and food plots point. and prescribed fire. But as soon as – and we've been using it for a couple years now. Yeah. And so you will see us talking about it more because it's an awesome software it's program awesome for organi- organizing, but also understanding kind of what's going on with your trail cameras on your property. So um, would you rather, brought to you by Deer Lab this week, Matt, would you rather? Let's hear it. Uh, and I'm just going, I, I was just thinking about this while we did the podcast, but I'm going to ask you, would you rather, if you have a brand new one acre cleared food plot just cleared out of the timber, would you rather plant? A blend or of some sort of whatever. Um, or would you rather plant a soybean food plot? It would be... It's a very loaded question. 
it is a loaded question, but I, I'm going, I'm sticking to this answer. Year one, I would like to plant a Roundup Ready soybean so I can help control the weeds and the seed bank that might be there. Um, so it's going to allow me to get an extra herbicide application. I get one before I plant um, to get those first weeds that come up, kill those out. And then as I plant and get the later um, weeds that come into you know, June, July timeframe before those soybeans canopy back over, I can hit those with another herbicide application and not um, interfere with the forage that I need growing in that plot. Once I have that done year one, I feel confident I, I've got, you know, the seed bank somewhat under control in this specific area. Then I start getting really creative into the blends and, and what my edges may look like. And, you know, it, it's going to change years down the road. Yeah. Year one, soybean. Yeah. Okay. This is a this is a different would you rather. So get ready to think on this one. Would you rather lose a hitless buck each year during deer season or lose two two and a half year olds that you see potential in? <laughs> I, I take You're the, not winning in either one. I'll but take the two. Uh that would hurt me more. That would the two two and a half year olds would hurt yeah, you more. I would rather see a neighbor kill a hitlister. Yeah, every year, then see two every year. Go ah, that gummit. Where that the one? The unknown go? is what kills me on that one. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That's it. I like. That's I me. like it. That's a good yeah. answer. Anyway, I like. I like seeing other people be successful in killing mature deer. That's what everyone's after. It's a trophy. So if we can share that, um, I think that's that's a great great answer. For sure. All right. That's um, pretty well. You got anything? Yeah. Hey, it's turkey season. We had a great week. We're we're three days into the season. And have got two kills on footage, on film, exceptional hunts that will be um, part of film number three. And we've gotten a heck, heck of a season going, and uh, we're just getting started. So that's something to look forward to. For sure. All right. I just got a, a cool picture yeah? that a friend sent me. It's a trail camera scenario. It's a Tom strutting around a bunch of hens, or a couple of hens, and all of a sudden you see her lay down Squat. on the ground and he breeds her right there in front of oh, the show wow. camera that's so, awesome pretty cool but anyway that pretty well wraps up this week's land of legacy podcast we hope you guys enjoyed it we'll catch you next time see ya thanks for listening to another episode of land of legacy's hunting and habitat management podcast if you like what you hear check us out at landlegacy.tv you can submit a viewer question right there and we're answering the podcast or find us on facebook and instagram Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Yeah.